Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers Sander Dorr, Jim Sammons, and their guests in an all-new episode. How often do you hear organizations still talk about, we have to be resilient, we got to stop being reactive rather than proactive, be resilient, be able to cope with change. We need to know why we're really doing this. It feels to me like we're falling back a little bit. Yeah, uh, I haven't really thought about it, but I do remember in 2020 hearing the word resilient and and other ideas that mean the same thing uh, a lot. And I don't hear them as much. I think most business people, if you want to play business jargon bingo, will say things like resilient and proactive versus reactive a lot. And it's always interesting to say, well, what does that mean to you? Or can you give me an example of something that you've moved from being reactive to proactive about? And, you know, sometimes you get a great answer. A lot of times you don't. But I do think you're right that it... Um, uh, it might, we might have as a, as a, as an industry or as a, as a, you know, world, maybe fallen into some sort of comfortable position again. Like, um, I remember in the U S in the late nineties, I was, um, you know, there was a war going on and you saw patriotism in a lot of places and you, you saw yellow ribbons tied around trees and turn on the radio and it's, it's just constant patriotism all over. And then there was another long stretch where that didn't happen. And then something happens bigger than all of us that maybe makes something important again. So I think it's normal, but I think it's about doing the thing and showing the discipline when maybe it's not so obvious, whether that's being resilient or patriotic or a good person or a good son or a good friend or whatever that could be. But if you're only a good friend when your, your your buddy is upset or when your friend is um, ecstatic, that's probably not what they need. That's probably not as good as being consistently a supportive friend. No, but we, we as people in general, we tr- tend to avoid uh, tricky things quite a bit. Like things are too hard for us, then let's not do it. Uh, and I feel organizations do that to an even more extreme level, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just avoid it because it's uncomfortable. So then how yeah. do you deal with that? And I think uh, Mike Tyson had a really nice comment on it. I'm just looking at it right now trying to find it because I can't remember it by heart. But it was a, it was a really good one. Uh, discipline is not is doing what you hate to do but doing like you love it. Mm. I like that. Me too, and it 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 sticks with me because I think that's what organizations should should do a little bit more as well. And whether that's that's about just having their retrospectives on a sustainable basis or a continuous basis, whether that's talking to your customer. I was teaching at the organization two weeks ago, and I asked product owners, like, how often do you do you talk to your users or your customers? He said, or like the, the whole group said, never. I said, why not? We've got bigger fish to fry. Your customers, your users are the biggest fish. There is no bigger fish than that. Yeah, but that's not how this organization works. Then start changing that. Yeah, but that's really is really hard to do. Just start. Right. Yeah, and there's a um, a technique out there. Um, 
I'll just let the audience Google it. It's called the Johari window. And basically it's a way of finding your own blind spots. And one of the ways to do it is to ask other people what they see in you. And you kind of do a little self-rating in how you see yourself. And there's four domains in this concept of the Johari window. And there's like what I could see and you can't see. So what do I, what do I know about myself or feel about myself that I keep private that I don't show the outside world. And then there's the opposite of that is what do um, the outsiders see that I'm not aware of? So what's in my blind spot or, or what am I putting out there? What perception do other people have of me? And then the the other two are, are one of the other two is the unknown unknowns, right? It's kind of that blind to self, blind to others. And mm-hmm. you can't spend a lot of time that because you, you just don't know. Like I don't know it and others don't see it. So let's not worry about it. But then there's, um, you know, it, it, the value in this of, the, of kind of sorting the, how you're perceived and what your skills and capabilities and personality is, is really about balancing how you see yourself with how others see you. And it, that can normally highlight blind spots and also maybe areas of strength that you weren't aware of and areas of weakness you're not aware of. So one of the things this time of year People get reflective. So maybe ask your teams, hey, what, what, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What do you think would be great if, if uh, I could get better at next year? And that might lead to a really good conversation. What's something that you're really good at and something that you want to improve next year? You what s- is something just, I'm really good at? Yeah. You set yourself up for this question. Yeah. Yeah. Damn you. Okay. Um, <laughs> what is something I'm really good at? Um, yeah. I'm really, I think one of the things I'm really good at is helping people bring quantitative measures to balance qualitative measures and to ask them probing questions to figure out what's important to them and then help them make sense of that. So we could call that sense making, we could make that visualization, we could call that EBM, you know, kind of all the things in that domain. Moving from I think to I know, or it feels like to, I can prove it or I can quantify it. Something that I am not great at that I am actively working on developing is probably more professional coaching. Um, And specifically inside of professional coaching is really distancing myself from outcomes and focus on creating the environment and the structure and, and, unlocking the intrinsic abilities of people like it's not that i can't do it it's just not super comfortable and i tend to it's not the most comfortable way for me to participate or show up in a conversation what makes you uncomfortable with it i see problems everywhere it's kind of like bruce willis i see dead people i see problems everywhere and i want to help solve them Mm-hmm. And yes, I know that you can help solve while coaching, but it's more about um, refraining from that mm-hmm. and not letting it bother me if there's still a problem six months from now. Like I, I think one thing that I've done very well over the last couple of years with the help of my coach, Alex, is to not let it ruin my day, week, month, year when someone doesn't take my advice or solve their own problem or when I see someone struggling with something that that 
I know is bothering them that they probably could solve because they're smart and capable. Um, so I, I am getting better at that. Um, but yeah, it's still a struggle. How about you? I mean, I know that you have no weaknesses, but what is something that you would only give yourself an A minus about that you would like to move up to an A plus? You know, you're my weakness, Jim. <laughs> no, I think what I uh, what I'm horrible at is delegating stuff. So I try to be omnipresent with well, basically anything because that means omnipresent. But um, when it comes to the whole platform that we're creating, I try to do everything uh, by myself and and continuously. Uh, too much and this is by by no means is this any finger pointing towards you or anyone else it's just something that i tried to do for whatever reason whether that's well the new medium publication page uh, maintaining the website creating discord editing the podcast uh, releasing scheduling the podcast and getting guests on board uh, figuring out new studio meetups doing other things public speaking the whole shabam creating the merchandise everything i tried to do everything myself and I'm, I know that at a certain point, I'm going to outpace myself. So mm-hmm. I got to watch myself that I love doing what I do, but I got to watch myself that I don't burn out again. Yeah. Well, and I know you and I've talked about that a lot um, on here and, and just one-on-one is, do you feel that you are stressing yourself out and diluting the impact or um, quality of any one thing because you are trying to do so much. Is that something you think about? Yeah. Like, would your book be done if you weren't doing this podcast and and doing all those other things? And if you just focused on that for two months, as an example, maybe because I'm not doing the book by myself, right? I'm doing that with with Ryan Brooke, and we mm-hmm. also made an agreement where. Finding a publisher first, like we were 70 pages in, 90 pages, something like that. We're now trying to find a publisher or figure out whether we're going to go for a publisher itself. Like we had a conversation with Pearson the other day, which so far went really well. Um, But we haven't signed anything yet. And as long as we're there or not there, depending on how you look at it, we're figuring out whether we're going to do that or going to self-publish. I mean, you don't want to do or release a book, write a book. If you're in it for the money books itself, especially books and agile these days, they are not really a pot of gold mm-hmm. to say the least. Um, it's more mm-hmm. because we want to do it because we like to do it because we enjoy writing the book with a little sarcastic undertone with a, with a crap ton of Easter eggs in there. Um, and it's something that we want to give back to the community that, that might be useful to others to learn from our experience. And, um, and then we'll move on to the next, but, Maybe, I don't know, coming back to your question, maybe we, we would be done, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. It's. Um, I think it lacks a little bit of a burning platform as well, like because there's yeah. no real deadline. And Ryan's super busy as well. I mean, he's trying to set up the business in, in Japan. Uh, he has his own consultancy. He's working with a lot of trainers as well. Uh, he's teaching himself or uh, he's he's doing his own website. He's doing all the things as well. So... And he has small kids like me, young kids. So I'm not sure. There's no real burning platform at this point to to get it done as soon as possible. And I think that's one of the things that just lacks. Uh, that's not pushing me to really, really we, get it in. You know what I smell then? Road trip. We got to go to uh, Japan. 
that's uh, that's what I smell. That's a pretty far road trip, dude. Well, hey, those are the, those are the best kinds, like Jack Kerouac style. Let's go, let's go uh, intercontinental. Um, I'm down. I'm. Yeah. you can send me anywhere. <laughs> And you've been to my house. You know I'm as guilty as this, or more guilty of this than many. Like there are so many projects going on, um, and you know I I do think I dilute the quality and satisfaction I I put into any one thing by trying to do everything. But it also keeps me interested because that's why I like what we do. Is we don't do the same thing every day. There was a a year, actually a little more than a year, where I taught or trained or did something around teaching or training or educating every day. And it was exhausting. And when you were here this summer, I remember telling you, you teach, you're going to teach more in the next month than I have taught all year. But this year and next year, it looks like my pendulum has swung heavily into the consulting thing. And I, the roundabout place I'm going here is one of the other things that I think I have gotten a lot better at. So I'm going to call, I'm going to call this a victory is, not ma- needing to make a connection with every single person, not needing to convert every student, not needing everybody to get it for me to feel like I'm good at what I do. The The counter of that, uh, and that was stressing me out for a long time. And the counter to that, something else that I think I need to really work on is what, what I'll just call professional emotional regulation. So it's a coaching thing of being able to not let your frustration show or not let your excitement show or not let this into kind of being that calming influence, that emotionally regulated person, whether you're it's it's working with a team during conflict or when things are going really well, when things are going, you know, in crisis mode. And, you know, I'm watching the, the TV show Billions. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a number of... Uh, you know, it's fictional, of course, but there's a number of people in there. And one of the things that I look at a lot, and there's a professional coach in there, is the amount of restraint, discipline, and emotional regulation I see. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at it professionally, eight to five. But a couple weeks ago, a client picked up on the fact that I was frustrated. And they were right, and I was. And it's not like I, I said anything or did anything overt. It's just, they're like, I could read that you were frustrated. We had a good talk about it and they said, it's totally cool, man. Like you should have been frustrated, but I see it as an area of opportunity for me to regulate that even better because if he picked up on it, he might've been distracted from whatever the, the task at hand was. Is that something I feel like that's a strength of yours. What do you, what do you think? about yourself in, in that, in that aspect? Mm. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think this is where the imposter syndrome kicks in as well. Like I tend to think sometimes I I've got phases, right? Like anyone does. And, mm-hmm. and then I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing something or reaching a certain number or, um, the average rating that I get from students and like, all right, but, here's Jim doing this awesome thing. And then there's Ryan doing Japan. And then there's, there's Dave doing this other cool stuff. And uh, so I'm not sure. I think one of the big, my biggest strengths currently, what I see is bringing people together, connecting them, um, getting in touch with the right people and, and 
helping them improve their lives. And that's something that I get a lot of joy out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yannick put in the chat, one of his strengths is uh, being good at pragmatic solutions. And that that's excellent. I think people that do what we do and that are helping others being pragmatic is, is an amazing skill to develop and being able to connect big problems, big ideas, theories and principles to actionable things is good. And he says his weakness is maybe the spiritual side of coaching, which I gotta, I gotta be honest. I, I have a, like, I'm not a big kumbaya, like uh, drum circle, like I chi type of stuff. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a weakness of mine too, the whole spiritual side of coaching. But again, like I've, we, I've said many times on here, Coaching is not my default stance. It's not the most comfortable place for me. I consider myself more of a, of a catalyst or a consultant than I do a professional coach. And that's, I, that is purely because I respect people who are amazing professional coaches enough to know. And it's not my super power right now. Which is fine. I mean, uh, you don't, and then maybe that's tying back to one of my, uh, my omnipresent, uh, thing. You don't have to be good at everything. Mm -hmm. As long as you enjoy what you're doing and you're effective and you, you reach what you're supposed to reach and you, you help your customers and clients uh, reach what they want to do. And then, and you, you teach awesome kick-ass classes and you have a happy life. Then why not? You don't have to be yeah. good at everything. And I think both of us sometimes forget that. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you. What is something Bring you want to bury with 2023 professionally? Like what is an idea, mm. a concept, um, a practice, a technique that you are just so sick and tired of hearing about, or you just don't believe in it or whatever that you just want to put a proverbial stake in its heart and never think about it again. Oh, uh, there are two things. One personal thing. And that's uh, my uh, our talk tens. There's always an sprint. We've been doing that at many conferences in, for the last year and a half, and I'm done with it. Um, for some odd reason, every time we submit like five or six different proposals or submissions to conferences, they always pick the same one together with either a topic on burnout or something else. But it's always there's always an sprint. So we're gonna bury that. We have buried it. We the last time we did was in Montreal, and now. We're killing it. Don't be afraid to kill your darlings. It's a, it's a good thing to do. Wipe your product back a little clean. So we created new ones, buried that. And the other one is something that I would like to see change in the Agile community. And that's something that apparently a lot of people have been suffering from is the amount of hate and ad hominem attacks on LinkedIn, social media, whatever platform that you get. But there seems to be increasing tension and upset unsubstantiated arguments, not not feedback, right? Just bitching and moaning on LinkedIn or whatever platform that you're using. Giving feedback mm -hmm. is fine. It's good. That's how we progress. But do it with proper arguments and with substance. Saying your work sucks or I disagree with this and then nothing. Yeah. I had a student the other day that... Um, a couple of weeks ago that filled in an evaluation form and it just clicked like a negative score when it comes to um, my class. The other, the, all the other, mm. the rest of the class was good. Students were happy except one person and that's fine, right? To a certain degree. If 
there's no substance to it or when I've asked you in class or just the class in general, like, is there anything that I can improve that I can do better? Are you getting from this class what you're hoping? And I get straight A's and then, you know, everything's fine. And um, specifically mentioning that there's, give me feedback right now, because if I see it on an evaluation form, I cannot change it. Right? Like right now I have time to work on it. Uh, be as, uh, as I said, Dutchly blunt, just be very direct about it. Do it. And then when I get an evaluation form back without any substance, without any arguments, just from one specific person, just low scores. Like, I can't do shit with this. It doesn't help. Mm -hmm. Like it's unconstructive. I still don't know anything right now. And I'm just in the blue. I don't get mm -hmm. it. It's super annoying. Yeah. So that's something that I would like to see buried. Hmm. And I don't have the illusion that everyone's always going to like me. And I buried that, that concept a long time ago. Like, um, especially early 20s, I always wanted everyone to like me. And I buried the concept quite a while ago. So I'm not in the, in the impression that I'm for everyone, that I'm everyone's type. And that's, that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm all good with that. Mastering Agility only works with organizations aligned with our values. And that's exactly why we are excited to work with our sponsor. Scrum Match is a free platform for professionals run by professionals. On Scrum Match, true Scrum Masters get hired by companies serious about their popular framework. The awesome people behind this platform have decades of experience, among them a professional Scrum trainer for Scrum.org. They have interviewed, trained, and coached hundreds of like-minded people, and they use this exact experience to make you stand out from the crowd and help you get in touch with companies looking for true Scrum Masters. So go to scrummatch.com and sprint to your dream job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I've said this on the past, but I used to, uh, I still do. I joke with people that I'm kind of like horseradish or mustard and I'm not ketchup. <laughs> ketchup is almost universally love, but um, I, I like horseradish. You either love it or hate it. I'm not for everybody, but the people who love me are extremely passionate. Or, you know, mustard. Like, in a world of ketchup, I'm mustard. Still still popular. Like, still a thing. People like it. But definitely not for everybody. And the people who don't like it don't like it a lot. Um, so I'm going to answer my own question because I asked it because I was thinking about this idea today. It's the end of the year. I'm going to try and shed some emotional baggage um, when it comes to, uh, you know, just what we do. Two things, since you gave two. One, uh, to kind of go along with yours, is um, the, I've seen an increasing trend of people on on social media, but especially LinkedIn, which I hold to a higher standard than Facebook and Tiki Talk and all that crap, is someone will put a, a straw man argument out there. Or they'll just make some crazy hyperbolic claim to feed the algorithm, and then somebody or a number of people will say, well, can you back that up? Or this is just your opinion and you're purporting it to be fact or what's your, you know, they'll, they'll start to challenge respectfully and the person responds with a screenshot of their, their engagement statistics. Like, Ooh, I have uh, 3000 impressions or I have 4,000 clicks or 50,000 followers. Who gives a shit? Like that doesn't mean anything. It just means that, you know, the algorithms are picking your thing up. But it also gives an insight into their psyche that they're validated by those vanity metrics. 
And I am not telling anybody else what to do, but I am going to be going through the week between Christmas and New Year's and calling those people from my feed because it just, it just is a tiny little ding in my, in my armor every day. And sometimes it happens on a day at a time when I don't need it. I don't need the negativity. I'm not trying to create an echo chamber, but I'm really just going to be taking the scalpel out with people that I feel are only putting divisiveness out there and not being pragmatically helpful to other people. An no. easier one? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You want to react to that? No, there's comment? just one general life advice. Don't be a dick. That's it. It's not that yeah. hard. That That is very sound advice. It's very Dutch advice. You know, and <laughs> I don't know where I was the, her, the first time I, I somebody made it sound like, well, I'm sorry I'm blunt. I'm Dutch. And I'm like, but that doesn't mean you can be an asshole. No, like, it's and, and now that I'm working with a whole bunch of people from your part of the world, I don't find that that to be a theme at all. Like, I do think many people from that part of the world can be a little more candid, um, maybe radically candid, maybe a little more blunt, maybe a little more um, brutal or hurtful in some ways, but no more. Go to New York. You want to see blunt? Go to New York. Go to Boston. <laughs> yeah. uh, go to go to most of Chicago, right? Um, I love Boston. But anyway, so the other simple answer to the thing that I'm tired of seeing and hearing about is shuhari. That might trigger some people. Maybe maybe some people are defensive of that. But I just find the idea to be misused, too simplistic, uh, doesn't account for a million other variables. And I think it just gets, it waters things down to making it seem like there's three stages to something. And I can't tell you how many teams I've seen. They're like, oh yeah, we're a, we're a re team. I'm like, says who? Like on what model? By what definition? By, you know, tell me how you come to that. Yeah. And it's because, well, it's the top. I just yeah. don't like that model. No, Rihanna is a superstar as well. And just because she has re in her name doesn't make her perfect either. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that. Did you make that up? I just pulled it out of my ass, and I'm not sure it makes Holy sense yet. Holy shit. There you go. I like it. I'm going to remember that. No, I always compare this to uh, Karate Kid, right? Daniel LaRusso, wax on, wax off, which he didn't want to do. Mr. Miyagi telling him to do so because it were the rules. I think that's a perfect analogy to it. Like, mm -hmm. apply. Fucking apply. Then learn from it. Just do it by mm -hmm. the book. Apply. Build up muscle memory. And then evolve to something that fits you, but it's not. Well, but like, what Mister, yeah. what Mister Miyagi did, he did a number of great things for for Daniel, but was kind of a little manipulative. He was sure. building strength and skills so that they'd be there when they were needed. And uh, you know, I'm not saying I would do it any different. You know, dealing with a kid, and it is a movie and all that. But I do use this same idea. Um. As you, so what do you think? Like, if we're building those skills inside of people, and we're facilitating events, if we're if we're reflecting problems, if we're being a good coach, consultant, advisor, mentor, should we be completely transparent all the time about why we're doing those things, or do you think being a little Mister Miyagi like is okay? I would say being a little Mister Miyagi is perfectly fine. Not everyone always needs to know everything about the how and the what and why because they'll tend to meddle with your methods or try to prove you're wrong or whatever. Sometimes it's, it's just bear with me, do it, and then see the magic. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, I, the only reflection I would give to, to anybody out there who's thinking about this is be very careful not to help people selfishly. Because um, when I was in a big organization with you know well over 150 coaches, um, I would I would ask somebody that I'm like, tell me about how you're spending your weeks and your months, and they're like, oh well, you know, I've been really talking to my team about value stream mapping. I said, okay, that's cool. What led you to bring that technique to the team? Well, I need to learn it. No, I okay. You want to learn it, but how is it helping the people that you're there to help? Oh, well, you know, it's going to do this and this and this, and, and I'm going to be able to do this, and it's going to help me in my career. I'm like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. How is the thing you're asking people to spend, you know, hours and hours doing helping them? And it wasn't. And, and, and that was just one example. I heard whole bunches of things about like, I'm getting good at this technique, or I'm teaching relative estimation, or I'm looking at this and looking at that. And a lot of times people had a great answer about why they found that technique or practice to help a team. But many times, or, or at least some of the time, it was a purely selfish endeavor. Listen, teaching something doesn't make you better at it just for the hell of it. And I'll give you an example. Again, I'm going to refer to our previous episode with Dave Snowden, where he said there was this uh, one of the agile uh, public names who said, I was bad at this, so he started teaching it to become good at it. Mm-hmm. I, especially in the early days of my career, I, I teach about wherever it's needed, whenever whenever it's use, useful. I teach about story points and these kind of things if it helps people um, estimate or grasp the, the, the concept of estimation. And I was at this organization um, teaching that they, these people built Star Wars level technology machines, right? They have the most intelligent people in the world. An average team has holds more PhDs than an average company, right? So mm-hmm. I was teaching this class about Scrum and uh, then estimation, the Fibonacci sequence, and I was explaining them how and what and why. And of course, there was someone in my class who had his postdoctorate about the Fibonacci sequence, and he was just poking holes in all of my logic. Like, all right, let's, let's, no. Let's not do this. Just bear with me. Just listen to the point. I, I know what he was saying, right? I know the logic's flawed when it comes to purely um, picture-perfect Fibonacci sequence. Sure, I get that. That's why I say specifically it's adjusted, but this is where it comes from. Da, 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 da. And he just kept on, kept going, poking holes in my logic, and why, therefore, the, the, mes- uh, the, the method of using story points was wrong. No. Not at all. But coming back to your point, like, is it good at some points or sometimes is it good to be Mr. Miyagi? Yeah, 100%. Because it's not going to be about pragmatism anymore. It's just going to be about poking holes in your logic just to prove you wrong and the other person right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is something we should talk about on another episode because I've had similar experiences. Um a few of them are coming to mind about people poking that people know too much about certain things and all models break down. All models are wrong. Some models are useful, right? All analogies break down under inspection, whatever you want to say about it, but it doesn't mean they're not helpful. It doesn't mean they're not useful. It's, you know, there are certain things I probably know too much about it. And I try really hard not to be the old cliff clave and a, well, actually, (laughs) 
That's <laughs> not correct. Like, oh God, I have a friend and every time he says, well, actually, if I took a shot, I'd get drunk every time I hung out with him. And it's just exhausting. Unless yeah. you want to do that. No, sure. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's just that, right? It's super annoying. Uh, and we tend, we try to teach people complementary practices. You don't have to use mm-hmm. it, but if it's useful, just know it's there and know how it works, and then apply wherever you, you can, feel. Apply wherever you want to. Right. Do you consider yourself a teacher or an educator? Sure, about the, the Scrum framework. Yeah, not about all the okay. complementary practices, but some of them. So what do you consider yourself about those? Something like uh, relative estimation or liberating structures. What what would you identify as? Mm, oh, that's a great question. Identifying is one of those very polarizing words these days, right? Mm-hmm. How would I you mean, describe yourself? There, let's do that. Novel. Like I'm, I know how it works in the context of Scrum and where it's useful for. I don't know where it comes from specifically, like I don't know the, the full origin of all these complementary practices. I know enough to tell you about how I applied it with my teams that I have worked for and what the, were the results and what I would not do and, and, and that kind of stuff. But the, the pure theoretical mm-hmm. concept is the same with uh, the daily scrum versus the daily stand-up. I always mention like this daily stand-up comes from extreme programming and Daily Scrum doesn't say anything about whether you should do it standing up, laying down, or hanging from the ceiling like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. I don't care. But know that it comes from ex- extreme programming. And I know squat about extreme programming. Mm-hmm. Well, you might know more than you think because it's uh, the it's woven through the fabric of a lot of other things. But yeah, I get your point. Um what about you? Somebody told me recently that they were like, uh, like, well, wh- wh- why do you say it's wrong? Like, I can call it whatever I want. I'm like, well, you're you're calling it the daily scrum, so you're being specific about what it is. If you just want to talk about we're going to get together, and you could sit, stand, it could be an hour, it could be ten minutes. Fine, let's just call it a daily huddle. Let's just call it a whatever. Just call it something else. Um, who cares? If it's still useful, if it's good, that's fine. Do it. But you know, if you can't rename a pineapple just because you want to that's that's the thing and i try and be very pragmatic when it comes to where i'm specific and where i'm not i'm not the world word police i try very very hard not to be pedantic about things um but more often than not there's a misunderstanding or a, or a misconception underneath a lot of those things i do love myself a good pineapple especially on pizza Oh my God! You and your kind pizza pineapple has no place on pizza. There, I said it. Yes, it does. Not in my house. I'm pretty sure I cannot. How about beans and chili? Should there be beans and chili? That's been the latest discussion in my house. Yes. Yes. Good. Me too. I agree. So there we go, audience. If you want to tell us that you're listening after you give us that amazing five-star review, cast your vote, <laughs> LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Beans and chili, yes or no? The answer is yes. There's only one acceptable answer to this equation. <laughs> one, Just one thing that we can all disagree with, and then we're going to wrap it up because now we're gonna just going to go into another rabbit hole. Kiwi on pizza. 
I've seen it the other day, and I just drilled a couple holes in my phone. I don't ever want to see that ever again. Yeah. I've had, uh, I've been places where there's like fruit pizza or dessert pizza that have a kiwi on it, but I've never seen it like actually on like a savory pizza with meat and cheese and stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did. And it kind of felt the need to to spike my eyes. Oh, yeah. one, one, One quick other trivia thing. Is there a food that you are looking forward to this holiday season? Like that you just can't wait to get to that family get together and load your plate up with something? Oh, yeah. My dad's making a very specific plate. It's called Rusty. Like um, uh, potato pancakes. Sort of a potato pancake, I guess. Like he scaves. Mm. He grates the the, the um, soft boiled potatoes and then he bakes them into a nice thick pancake. And he gets a sirloin. Not a sirloin. A sirloin. Cuts up really thin, get some pepper sauce on it, smears it mm. all over this this pancake. It's so good. Are and you I'm gonna, gonna eat... wash it down with one of your Red Bulls? No, by that no, I drink only drink Red Bull in the morning mostly. Like, that's my I'm coffee, right? It's nine o'clock Red Bull time. Let's go. Yeah. And then by the time that I'm eating that, I'm probably gonna be shit faced on beer. Yeah. Well, uh, so Abby in the chat says Kartoffelpuffer. That's my butchered pronunciation. Do you know what that is? Well, Maybe I know what Kartoffel is, but us. I don't don't I don't know what she means with Kartoffelpuffer. Oh, she says very good. Well, thank Duolingo. So, audience, I am doing Duolingo to sp- to learn Dutch in prep of a couple trips over there. And is it my potato thing? Hold on. Oh, that's your potato thing. Okay, cool. Well, for me, it, it's um, yes, sort of. Sorry, ah, that's what we call it in German. Oh, Germans! I can't bother myself with a whole other language. Listen, listen, not yet. German. So you got butterfly, right? Butterfly sounds good. In mm-hmm. Dutch, we call it een vlinder, and then you got the German word schmetterling. <laughs> half of the german language sounds angry to me and, and my sister speaks very very good german she she went to school over there for a little bit and uh even nice words sound angry um but you know i've noticed when i've been doing duolingo for dutch there's a lot of words that i can recognize like guten tag looks a lot like guten dog and uh, i mean obviously yeah. that makes sense it's not not far away but uh yeah it's interesting you can reason some things out with contextual clues on uh, on the app yeah yeah same works like if you understand if you can read dutch you'll probably be able to filter out a whole lot in, in african south african but yeah. we're drifting off let's let's wrap it let's call it a day okay all right well I want to keep those five-star reviews coming and not like, uh, they're just now talking me to sleep. Sounds good. Enjoy your holidays, buddy. You too. Have a good one. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button. Share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings as a virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility podcast.